Shalom. Um, I'm reading from the Tree of Life version, Colossians 2, 8 through 14. See that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men and the basic principles of the world rather than Messiah. For all the fullness of deity lives in him, bodily in him, and in him you have been filled to fullness. He is the head over every ruler and authority. In him were you also circumcised with the circumcision done not by hand, in the stripping away of the body of the flesh, through the but through the circumcision of Messiah. You were buried along with him in immersion, through which you were through which also you were raised with him by trusting in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he pardoned us all our transgressions. He wiped out the handwritten record of debt within the decrees written against us, which was hostile to us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. Thank you, Life is not boring. <laughs> Particularly if you happen to be one of these characters who is a messianic rabbi. And uh, it's intriguing sometimes after you preach a, uh, a message to get polar opposite responses. <laughs> and uh, this past Shabbat, or the previous Shabbat, yeah, this past Shabbat, um, I uh, was blessed to have a number of very affirming um, statements such as, you nailed me. Okay. Um, and did you know I needed to hear that? No, I actually did not. Um, and on the opposite side of that is word had come back to me um, something along the lines of, would you please tell the rabbi that he needs to preach more about Jesus? Okay. Um, in both cases, one can take that rather personally. And uh, in the case of the affirmation uh, you know, kind of puff your feathers and walk away and feel like, well, we, we did this one right. Yeah, okay. Um, the opposite side, the polar opposite, you know, the temptation might be uh, to harumph and say, what do you mean? Preach more about Jesus. This is a messianic Jewish congregation, emphasis on Messianic, i.e. Messiah, i.e. Yeshua. Uh, yes, Jesus, we don't break out in hives when we say his English name. Um, 
But in either case, neither one of those statements are really about me or David or anybody else who occupies the pulpit. And if it is, then we got serious problems. Because if it is us proclaiming what we feel we need to say to everybody, then it's an impossible task. Because the truth is, folks, on a given Shabbat, there's absolutely no way that any one of us knows exactly what everybody needs to hear. We're not God. Um, and sometimes it's tempting foolishly to assume so-and-so really needs to hear that and no, I'm not going to point a bony finger at them, but I will do so verbally. And reality is, folks, um, for us who regularly preach we have a sober, sober responsibility to proclaim the Word of God. And it's a mystery. It really, really is a mystery how that through our preparation and our talk and sometimes even our foolish jokes for which you're gracious enough to laugh sometimes, how somehow through that God manages to speak to different people in their particular situation on a given Shabbat. That has always, uh, that has never ceased to amaze me that somehow that takes place. And after a while you realize, you know, what takes place on a given Shabbat is not about the pots of clay, the humans, but it is about God. And by the way, let me be very, very, very emphatic to say that God speaks to different ones of us in the congregation, not merely through the sermon, through the message, but I firmly believe that throughout the service, through the worship and music, through the Torah service, through the message, and even through the times when we hang out and fellowship and encourage one another, somehow the Almighty is capable of having just the right word just at the right time when we needed to hear something. And you know how it is, you come in a given Shabbat and you go through about three quarters of the service and your minds are on the Broncos or on the person who, who almost sideswiped you on I-25 or on the roast that's cooking and about to burn and so on. And then just at, at one instant, somehow, something clicks in your mind and you say, wow, okay, I get it. I needed to hear that. And furthermore, I need not, not just to hear it, but I need to take it and apply it and put it into practice. I need to learn from it. And that, folks, is our prayer. And by the way, you may know that we, we pray a bunch before the beginning of the service. Uh, we have a number of people who pray during the service for just that purpose, for God to speak, to communicate what it is that He wants to communicate to each and every one of us. Because we who stand behind the pulpit 
can flap our gums until we're blue in the face. If God doesn't speak, then nothing of substance really takes place. And so we pray for that. We pray for the process from beginning to end. From beginning, i.e., from the conception as in God. Uh, what is it that you wish you want for us to say on a given Shabbat? You know, sometimes I think folks think that Rabbi David and I have a dartboard in the office and, and we have a number of topics and we throw the darts and wherever it lands we say, oh yeah, that's what we need to do. Again, it's a mystery. It's a mystery how God communicates to us who prepare the Word of God as He communicates to each one of us. And so our prayer that from the beginning of the process, from the time that we consider a particular sermon, and we, pre we prepare it, and we agonize over it, and we pray some more until on a given Shabbat when it is presented, and people hear, not just physically hear through the auditory nerve, but hear the voice of God and understand that they need to apply something and it becomes part of the DNA and that is our desire and our goal is that through the word of God, again from beginning to end, from the worship, through the Torah service, through the wonderful drash that is given, that somehow God will communicate and we would hear and we would take it and we would apply it and we would become transformed into a greater degree of maturity as men and women of God. Equipped and released to serve Him in whatever capacity He's called us to do. Folks, that's the name of that tune as the saying goes. And so it isn't because we feel personally invested, although we are. But we stand in, in a certain amount of awe and say, Lord, you want to use me to communicate? And I hope that that is something that is part of your life too. A sense of awe that God, in your particular situation, whether it's school or work or wherever it is, that God somehow works through your cranial capacity and your, and your speech to somehow touch the lives of people and, and communicate his word. And so this has been our desire, and from time to time, it's, I feel like we need to put it out there so that you're aware and by the grace of God embrace the process and so that you will receive what it is that God has for you on a given Shabbat. Having said all that, let's take a moment and pray. Lord God, we thank you for your niflaot, the wondrous things you do in our life. As we read your word on our own, as we study it, as we embrace it, as we apply it, as we come together as a congregational mishpacha, we thank you, Lord, for the miracle 
of how that takes place, how you speak to us, and we acknowledge that it is a mystery. And we do thank you, Lord God, for what it is that you have for each one of us from the remaining portion of the service, Lord, and from what has taken place already. We pray, Lord God, that something that you have in mind for each of us will become, would come into reality that we would take it and embrace it and apply it and grow by it. We pray, Lord God, for your Ruach, your spirit to lead us. And we ask this all in the name of Yeshua. Amen. So we're continuing Colossians. Um, that was our anticipation uh, when we signed off on it um, at the end of the summer so that we could prepare for the Moadim, the special holidays. But we expected that we would pick up. And I realize that Colossians is not exactly common fare for a lot of folks in the Messianic community. Um, because it's kind of out there in some ways. But I want to point out that it really is not out there. It's really the core of who we are. Because... It takes Yeshua and puts him in, in bright lights. And as I've pointed out from time to time, for people who go off, off the tracks, inevitably, a major part of the issue is a misunderstanding and confusion and heretical teaching about who Yeshua is. And you say, yeah, come on, I'm not a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, etc. However, think about the fact that for most of us, Yeshua does not occupy the central part of our screen, so to speak. Um, particularly, if you have been a believer for a while, and you get discouraged, which we all do from time to time, or you get frustrated, or you even get confused, and your attitude is, well, this is all very nice and dandy about Yeshua, but give me something that will add pizzazz to my life. I know nobody here will say that out loud, but I, I remember um, a number of years ago, it's been quite a while, I won't tell you how many because they will date me. Um, it was during a time when there was an outbreak of a phenomenon called Holy Ghost laughter. If you've been around, you know what I'm talking about. Um, where people in a given service just bust out laughing. Uh, ostensibly under the influence of the Holy Spirit and there was no apparent rhyme or reason to it but it was an indication of God doing great and awesome and wonderful things and uh, Joe and I went to one of those services um, because we we could use a little extra vitamin G you know vitamin God 
and uh, was a tough time for us, congregationally, family, and some friends invited us to come to one of those services, and we were there as the, uh, the spotlight shone on different individuals who were breaking out in so-called Holy Ghost laughter, and the person behind the pulpit was saying, wow, you see that? And I was looking at that, and I thought to myself, okay, um, I'm Jewish. I've seen a lot of Jewish blarney. This seems to be another version of that. Um, and then I went to a conference right around the same time. And uh, this was a conference of rabbis. And they, uh, we were talking and praying. And one of the fellows was talking about a version of this uh, that was called the Toronto Blessing um, that took place in a vineyard church just outside of Toronto Airport um, where ostensibly wonderful things were happening. And again, I know who is the righteous judge, and that's not me. And I'm sort of not going to take a tar brush to the entire phenomenon and say there was nothing of any spiritual value there. Um, but what I found particularly odd is, is one of the fellows at this Messianic Rabbi's um, conf conference was encouraging me to go to Toronto. And by the way, I, I spent some time in Toronto. I went to high school there. So I thought, hmm, okay. Um, that ostensibly then was the tap that I needed to drink from what God was doing. And I can't speak for anybody else, but I tend to be somewhat honorary. And I thought to myself, you know, th th this reminds me some of the history of the people of Israel when they were battling with the Philistines. And uh, they were able to defeat the Philistines up on, on the, uh, the top of... Uh, the hills and the Philistines were saying, well, we should go fight them in the valleys since maybe their God is the God of the mountains, but he is not the God of the valleys. And my thought was, uh, I don't minimize what is taking place in Toronto, but uh, last time I checked, he also happens to be the God in Denver. Amen. And if we are not experiencing the kind of pizzazz that they're experiencing in Toronto, well, maybe it's under God's control and he divvies out the pizzazz according to what he sees fit. And the issue for us is not the pizzazz, the uh, out external manifestations, but for us the issue is always the deeper work that God does. And that, folks, has become the reality for us, and that is what, what I see in the book of Colossians. These folks were exposed to all kinds of wild and woolly teachings, both from the Jewish end and from the Greek mystical end, um, telling them that they needed to be here, they needed to be there, and, and uh, if you were here when we began the series on Colossians, you have heard uh, both Rabbi David and I talking about how uh, 
that this probably represented people were uh, being consumed with Gnosticism. The notion that God is up here, we're down here. He is so incredibly holy that there's no way we can approach him directly. And so we need to go through these mystical spiritual beings called eons that you go from the uh, bottom eon that's not, not very spiritual to the top eon that's very much like God. And as you work through the system that the Greeks called pleroma, fullness, that that's how you make contact with God. Okay. Uh, interesting concept. It really doesn't have much to do with, with who God is. Again, that's a mystery. It's a mystery that God knows us. He understands our yuck. He understands our sin. And yet he loves, he loves us and we do not need to go through a series of beings in order to go and make contact with him that it is sufficient for us to come through the person of Yeshua. And that is what Paul explains to these folks in Colossae, by the way, which is modern-day Turkey, that in Yeshua dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and that you and I have been made complete in Him. By the way, the language there means that it's a past action with continuing, ongoing functions. In other words, it's something that has taken place in the past and is continuing. Somehow, folks, you and I have what it is that we need in Yeshua. And part of the process is that we get incredibly impatient and we allow our consumerist mindset and our frustration to take over and we say, God, uh, thank you for Yeshua, but I want Yeshua plus. Then at some point, our thinking changes and we say, I want Yeshua plus. Then at some point, we say, I want Yeshua plus. In other words, that Yeshua somehow ends up being shoved into the corner because what we are pursuing is not the Lord. We're pursuing the things we feel we desperately need that can only come from Him, but at some point, Him becomes part of non-reality because we're so consumed about the things that we want. And the truth is, that's the case for all of us. You know, none of us can stand up and give an absolutely pristine testimony and say something like, I, at all times, 24-7, want nothing more to do than to have Yeshua fill my screen. Well, if you, if you were to say that, uh, I would be inclined to... Um, do some bodily violence to you. Because reality folks, like the Colossians, our attitude is, we want what we want, what we feel we need, and if the Lord is part of it, that's great. But what we see here in Galatians and elsewhere in Scripture, 
is that our focus cannot be on the things that we need from God. Our focus has to be on God himself. In faith and expectation that in his good time, he will supply what it is that we need. However, the biggest thing that we need is more of him. And that's tough to get our arms around. It's a mystery, folks. It's a mystery. What, what Paul's saying here is a mystery. A mystery, by definition, is something we understand a little bit of, and much of it is way above and beyond us. And there's no problem in saying, um, I understand portions of this, but since God's brain is this big and my brain is significantly smaller, then there are lots of things I don't understand about who God is, and I'm okay with that. In fact, I have a basic sense of peace and rest, understanding that I do not need to understand all parts of reality, mine and everybody else's. And so part of the picture here and elsewhere is that Paul is challenging these Colossian believers to glom on to who Yeshua is. And as it, it just happens, over the last several years, our Moadim services, the Moadim sermons have been increasingly focused on who Yeshua is. Is there... A disconnect? Obviously not. Is there a disconnect between Simcha Torah and rejoicing in the Torah and a commitment to follow Yeshua more fully? Absolutely not. Whatever disconnect is, is not a disconnect that's in Scripture. If you were, if you were here last Shabbat, I mentioned Yeshua's words, which we recite each and every single Shabbat. If you love me, you're not going to stand there and, and blather. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And yes, part of worship is singing and dancing and exuberance and so on. But if there's no obedient faith expressed, our love for the Lord is, is very inconsequential. And Paul puts it this way. So then, in verse 6, just as you have received Messiah Yeshua as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, what does it mean to be rooted? You know, none of us is a tree, so it's kind of hard to get our arms around. Well, if you have a big tree in your yard, then you can perhaps understand some of that. Uh, when Joy and I bought our house, we have a uh, honey locust that at the time came up to the roof, well, good size, but at this point it towers about 30, 40 feet. And if you look at the root system, it is amazing. Every place in our yard where you dig for anything, you'll find one of the roots of the honey locust tree. It is well-rooted. 
And so we've had all kinds of frost and all kinds of wind and drought and everything else, and this tree continues. I mean, yeah, it helps that we have a sprinkling system. But this tree is amazingly in its, is amazing in its growth, and that is essentially what Paul is talking about here, folks. He's saying you need to be rooted in who you are in your relationship with Messiah, and i.e., the more you become connected to him, the stronger you'll become. Which means that through thick and thin, through all kinds of circumstances, good, bad, and ugly, your number one preoccupation is not, God, get me out of this. But your number one preoccupation is to say, Lord, what is it that you're doing here? You have good plans for me. I may be a little on the slow side. Maybe. But you're doing good things here, and I want to learn. I want to embrace what it is that you're doing. I want to engage in what it is you're doing. I don't want to be uh, clueless forever. And God brings us through these circumstances that we find difficult and we find discouraging sometimes and we find frustrating and we park there instead of backing up and saying, okay, God, I don't understand this. I don't like it. I don't want to be here, but you're at work because that's what the word says, continually at work, both to will and to do your good pleasure. So what is it that you're doing? What is it that you want me to learn? What is it that you want me to apply? In simple, childlike faith, not in your absolute brilliance spiritually, but in simple, childlike faith in who God is, that he's able to communicate to you. As you have begun, so continue. And I remember as a 13-year-old, the Daily Vacation Bible School in Jerusalem invited us to accept Yeshua as our Messiah. And I raised my hand. I had absolutely no clue what I was doing other than, okay, yeah, all right. And over a period of time, that became reality. The, 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 the roots, which were tiny little rootlets, became deeper and deeper and deeper, especially as God blessed us with going through all kinds of trials, fiery trials, then you know you're desperate and you either get your nourishment from Yeshua or you wither and die. Rooted and grounded in Him, built up, strengthened in the faith. And Paul goes on to say, see to it, that no one takes you captive through hollow, deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than Messiah. Now, folks, there are wonderful things about the Internet. And then there are awful things about the Internet. Part of the awful things about the Internet is that every Tom, Dick, and Harry 
who's convinced that he has he or she has a special new brilliant revelation from God that has to be revealed to everybody gets on it tells everybody and is wildly exciting and everybody wants to embrace it because it is not Yeshua plus but it is Yeshua plus it's titillating it's exciting and 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 we want things that excite us and Paul says uh-uh don't go there don't go there and remember folks in the areas where scripture is very emphatic where it gives us lots of information we don't want to spend a lot of time there okay we know that already where we park and where we write books and when we give series of teachings is the ambiguous passages in scripture that were designed to be ambiguous not to give us a whole lot of, inf of information you know, case in point, and I have to say that, and I'll move on. The Nephilim, everybody and their mother wanted to know who the Nephilim were. They're mentioned all of twice in Scripture. And of course, we know, we want to know, inquiring minds want to know who the Nephilim were. Paul says, don't mess with that. The things that God really cares about, he'll tell you. Deuteronomy 29, the, the things that are a mystery. The secret things belong to God and the revealed things belong to us so that we can follow and obey. In other words, what we need to know, we need to know not so that we can titillate our minds with all kinds of information, but that we would understand what is God's will and do it. And I want to park for a couple of minutes on the last verse that that was read to us about Yeshua pardoned all our transgressions. He wiped out the, the handwritten, handwritten record of debt with the decrees against us which was hostile to us and took it away by nailing it to the tree, to the cross. Now what on earth does Paul mean here? Of course, a lot of folks are inclined to say, oh, yeah, of course, it's a Torah with the bad stuff, uh, you know, the nasty punishments that were spelled out in the Law of Moses. Yeshua put them to the, to the tree, and, and we're free. You know, we're no longer under the curse. Is that what, you, what is meant here? First of all, a couple of basic statements. Yeshua said, I did not come to abolish the Torah, but to fulfill it. Paul in Romans 7 says, the Torah is good and righteous and holy and spiritual. I'm the one who is a little on the sluggish side. So whatever he means here certainly does not mean that, that um, God says, oops, um, five books of Moses, uh, you really don't need them. They've been nailed to the tree. Well, think about the imagery here. The imagery simply was that a person who was crucified, like Yeshua, had the criminal charges spelled out against him on top. So in the case of Yeshua, the charges against him was he is the king of the Jews. Well, could be worse.
but each criminal had basically a rap sheet above them that spelled out why they're being crucified. So what does Paul mean here? He means that the rap sheet that spells out how guilty you and I are has been taken away. Not that we are no longer responsible for our actions. We are. But that because of the amazing grace of God, somehow, God forgives us. And, and folks, if you don't understand God's amazing grace for you, how He has been patient with you, let me encourage you to go back and read and reread the history of the nation of Israel. And then you will see the grace of God displayed in the life of people in a way that is unbelievable, outstanding. You'll take courage at that because it will be a reminder of the fact that, yes, God knows us. Yes, knows, yes God knows all the stuff that we have done and the stuff we will do. But because Yeshua died and rose again, our sins have been forgiven. Real basic stuff. But folks, this is where we break our teeth because we lose sight of the basic stuff and we become preoccupied with things that seem to titillate us, you know, that capture our imagination. And, and on this day, the day after the Shabbat, after Simcha Torah, what we need is we need to be excited and titillated in a sense by who Yeshua is, that in Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you and I have been brought to completeness in Him, which means anything and everything that you and I struggle with, God has answers for. That's the simple message Paul has for us today. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we thank you for your unbelievable mercy for us. We thank you, Lord God, that you know us intimately. You know us inside and out. You know our thoughts before we think those thoughts. You know us, Lord, when our faith is wobbly. Lord God, we desire today to do what your word tells us to do, and that is to become more fully rooted and built up in you, to become strengthened in faith, overflowing with thankfulness. Lord God, in this Meshuggi world, with all the things that are going on, we don't want to be distracted. We want to have a single-minded conviction of who you are. We 
need to learn, Lord God, to receive from the fullness that you give each one of us. We pray, Abba Father, that your spirit would convey that reality to us, that wherever we find ourselves, Lord, that we would embrace your answers, that we would seek and embrace your answers, and that we would grow by it into the maturity that you have for us as men and women of God. Thank you, Lord, for the mystery of how you do that. And I pray, Lord, for each one of us where we struggle, that we would be able to take our struggles and lay them at your feet and invite your rule and your gracious work in our life. We pray, Lord God, that you would be honored and glorified by what takes place in us and how that works its way outward, outwardly and impacts others. We ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen.